Hello, my darling true crime angels. It's time once again for Web Sleuth Radio Podcast. My name is Trisha Griffith, the very proud owner of WebSleuth.com. And on the phone with me, I am thrilled to introduce you to a man that I've had the great honor of working with. He has an extensive law enforcement background, and now he is a private investigator extraordinaire. Everybody, please say hi to Jim Rathman. Jim, welcome to Webster's Radio Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you're welcome. Now, Jim, we, we see the term private investigator thrown out around a lot. It seems like everybody says they're a PI, but you've got, you've got the juice to back this up. Tell us about your, your background, and then we're going to jump into your work a little bit later on with Discovery ID. But uh, give us your law enforcement background, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, one, um, I, I refer to myself to investigative consulting now, which is uh, what I really love to do. Um, so the more complex the case, the more excited I get. But uh, my background, um, I've been in law, I worked in law enforcement for several years, did everything from uniform patrol, a little bit of undercover narcotics, spent some time in detective division, doing homicides, real violent crimes. Um, and then I eventually worked my way to the United States Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that. I protected uh, President Barack Obama and his family, Vice President Joe Biden, his family, along with uh, Vice President, oh, I'm sorry, the presidential uh, candidate Mitt Romney back in 2012. I've also protected a lot of number one and number twos from all over the world. So mm-hmm. been around the game for quite some time. Uh, now, I know you're not supposed to tell any secrets when you are with the Secret Service, but we're going to suspend that now. I want you to give me the scoop. What are they really like? Come on. Anything you can tell me, anything. <laughs> I tell you, you know, I really enjoyed my time with the Secret Service. Uh, in my opinion, I do think it's probably the most premier federal law enforcement agency, and I say that it's because of the professionalism mm-hmm. that comes along with that job. You know, a lot of people think, um, you know, or the best way to put it is, Everybody's there for one goal, and that's to protect the office of the President of the United States. It doesn't matter right. who's in office. It's mm-hmm. protecting that office of, um, and that's everybody there is a professional. They're all driven to do just that. Uh, they take the training very serious. They take the job incredibly serious, and it's just a bunch of, of professional type A personalities, and it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful career, uh, and I really enjoyed my time there. Okay, I guess it's as deep as I'm going to get with that. As I'm deep not going to be any... able to get. I don't oh, want to get in trouble. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, now, you know, when I introduced you as a private investigator, I, I didn't mean to say just a private investigator. That's not what I was getting at. You're much more than that. You have this uh, consulting firm, and, mm-hmm. and you work in, in some pretty intense cases. Tell us what you do now, what your day is like now. Well, right now, well, actually, the last several months has been spent on working the wonderful investigation discoveries uh, show that you were on as well, Joe Exotic, mm-hmm. Tiger's Lies and Cover Up. And I spent a lot of time looking into the disappearance of Don Lewis and what happened with Don Lewis in August of 1997. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people watched the docuseries that came out in the beginning of spring when the pandemic it was kind of that perfect storm. So everybody had something to watch, and it was like, this crazy train wreck, but you couldn't take your eyes off the train wreck. And well, that's the truth. <laughs> I happen to be one of those that looked at it and go, wow, you know, I, mm-hmm. I reside in Orlando, so for Tampa is only an hour, an hour and 15 minutes from me. And I wanted to lend a, a helping hand, and so I started 
really looking into this case just like I would if I was a detective again. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of stuff started popping up, which was pretty pretty revealing. So you started, uh, and you did just, uh, uncover some pretty amazing stuff uh, on for the Discovery uh, Network. Let's, let's, how did you get connected with them? How did that happen? So originally, back at that time, I actually used to do a podcast. Uh, I did a true crime podcast I no longer do. Um, but at the time, I was doing it, and you know, it was during the pandemic, so I was gathering my information to put onto the podcast. Um, but because I had a decent name already in that industry and with my background, I was able to get some interviews with some people that you know were relatively challenging to be able to get in front of. Um, and you know, I had I ended up getting some good information from a few informants that provided some documents that they've had for many years. Uh, and so that really helped. And then being able to sit down and get some of his interviews and really be able to really uncover what was hidden for 23 years. Wasn't it shocking that whoever did this has gotten away with it for 23 years? When you started to investigate this, Jim, did you see any any sort of active investigation going on even, uh, you know, back from 1997 on? Did it was there an active investigation, and has there been one lately? His well, disappearance. You know, looking back 23 years ago, there definitely was an active investigation. I just, I think the difference between 23 years ago and now, you know, right now we have technology on our side. So when you go back to 1997, you couldn't pull up all the property records. You couldn't pull up uh, some of the records you really needed to really say, wait, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This is really odd. Whereas today, you can go online and within minutes, you can pull up 100 properties. Uh, it's it's an, an impressive. So they didn't have that back in 1997. At the same time, I don't believe, I because you only have a chance to really collect your evidence once. And if you miss that, if you miss a step, you mm-hmm. can't go back and recreate it when it's already gone. You know, you have chain of custody, things wash away, wipe away, thrown away, however you want to put it. Um, I think one of the big keys that was missed was the van. Um, it never was questioned to, from what we've been able to find out, there's never been, nobody's been questioned as to why the van was wiped down. If if Carol drove that van from the airport back to Wildlife on Easy Street, why weren't her fingerprints found in that car? Why wasn't John's fingerprints found in that car? Why only one print and it only belonging to the mechanic? So those are, you know, and once you miss that, what do you do? I, that's a very good, very good point. But let's let's back up here, um, just in case somebody has been living in a cave with the Taliban and they're not familiar with all of these details here. Uh, give us a quick background of why the van is so important in the case of uh, of Don Lewis missing. Well, the van was incredibly important because Don, you know, it was he had that he. Don transported animals and all kinds of things inside his van, and it was a two-tone colored van. And what's strange about that, van was found abandoned at the Pilot Country Airport, which is north of Tampa. And it's a private airport that he used to do business out of, but did business out of there years before. He had some sort of falling out with the guy who actually owned or ran the airport. Um, but what was interesting about that is earlier in the week of August, so Don went missing August of 1997. The week prior to him actually disappearing, the van was fixed by the mechanic named Dale Lively. Um, the AC unit needed to be replaced, and so that's the reason Dale was working on it. 
that van was found at the Pilot Country Airport. And what, it, what was strange is that it had his briefcases in there, his keys were in there, um, and Don never went anywhere, anywhere without his briefcase or without his stuff that he needs to do business. Right. And, you know, if law enforcement would have taken the time to really talk to some of his work associates and the people that knew him best, they would have realized right away that this is completely out of character. You know, Don could be reached at all hours of the day and night when it came to business. And mm-hmm. now this person hasn't been heard from, seen from, nothing. But yet here's his van with his briefcase and his keys on the floorboard. The seat pushed all the way back. Don was five foot nine. There's no way that seat should have been pushed all the way to the rear. You'd have to be, you know, six three, six four. Had to be somebody bounce. really, really tall. And obviously it was put there that thinking, oh, they'll think Don drove to the airport and left. But is there anybody in Carol Baskin's life that is that tall? Well, ironically enough, uh, you know, her father is the only person that I'm aware of that's over six foot three, six foot four. What a shock. Yeah, it just doesn't surprise me that there's somebody in her uh, close stratosphere that would, if they were driving a van like that, they'd have to push the seat all the way back. Right. You know? and, and that's just one of the one of the details that they forgot, uh, if whoever did this. And wiping down all of the prints, that's just ridiculous. I, I mean, you know, and, and like you said, the only other person's prints on there was that it was the... Uh, the mechanic and and tell us about the interview with Don's mechanic. He was actually they were actually friends. I mean, he did a lot of work for Don, right? Yeah, Dale Lively. I'll tell you what a wonderful man. I really enjoyed getting the opportunity to meet with him and sit down and talk with him. And I even got to see him at the at Don's memorial service. Uh, I think the world of Dale. You know, he's been friends with with Don Lewis for multiple years. I think they became friends in the early '80s. And Don back then used to buy, you know, a vehicle for $200 or $300. It made it $150 worth of work to it, and he'd bring it over to Dale. Dale would fix it up, and Don would turn around and sell it and make a profit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Don, Everything Don touched, he had to make a profit on. So right. when you ask Dale Lively about how many vehicles he's worked on for Don over the years, he said anywhere between 75 to 100 cars that he's worked on for Don over the years in the friendships. Wow. Um, and, you know, another thing, too, when because when, I want to talk about the van real quick, I specifically asked Dale, I said, Dale, when you were in there fixing that van, would you have moved the seat all the way to the back? And he says, well, sometimes I need the space to be able to move it back. He goes, but mm-hmm. Don picked up that van from him right on that, I think it was Wednesday, the week prior. So that would have been around August, August, uh, I would say the 13th, 14th, mm-hmm. right into there. Um, and he said Don was only five foot nine at best, so he would have right. had to have moved the seat back up in order to be dropped to drive it away. And he, you know, so there's no way that seat would have been all the way to the rear. He said Don wouldn't have been able to reach the pedals. Tails like I wouldn't be able to reach the pedals. So either somebody moved it at the very end when they parked it, or somebody that drove it had to do it that way because they couldn't fit in the driver's seat. And that's just one of the things that uh, that has been discovered. Uh, about this case and we're talking with Jim Rathman. Jim Rathman was a big part of the Discovery ID these latest uh, docu-series uh, about Carol Baskin and Don Lewis's uh, disappearance. It's called Joe Exotic Tiger's Lies and Cover-Ups. Now you did get a chance to talk to Joe Exotic and let's go right right back to where this started with the Joe Exotic Netflix big like you said uh, a big docu-series that started at the start of COVID and everybody was into it. Well, now uh, Joe Exotic is in prison 
for attempting to hire someone to kill Carol Baskin. He was found guilty. Tell us about your conversations with Joe and what you think of him. Well, you know, Joe, in my communication I've had with him has always been pretty good. Joe is very transparent. He's not going to hide his feelings. He's not going to hide what he's thinking. He's going to say it exactly how it is. So he has always been very adamant that he did not do a murder for hire. All these charges on him were were created just to get him locked up, just to get him in jail. And, you know, he he was set up, and he's been saying it all along. So that's how a lot of my communication was has been with Joe. Now, I think we can all agree Joe's quite a wild lifestyle. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody would say any different after watching what was aired in the early spring. But Joe has a family. Joe's a human being. And if Joe mm-hmm. did not commit these crimes, he doesn't need to be in jail. That's if he did not commit these crimes. So, um, you know, he's He's got an entire legal team. They're they're called Team Tiger. They're out of Texas. He's got wonderful attorneys. Mm-hmm. He has an investigator out of Dallas, Texas, that's also working on that round clock. So they're working diligently um, day and night to try to get Joe a new trial or an appeal. They're even trying a presidential pardon. So they're doing their part. Um, so mm-hmm. just have to it, see what happens. I, if I remember correctly, the trial, the first thing they did was talk about uh, his mistreatment of the animals. And I found that interesting because that really didn't have anything to do with the murder-for-hire plot, but it was like the prosecution wanted everybody to hate Joe Exotic before they got to the actual, uh, you know, meat and potatoes of the whole thing. And and I think that's part of, of their thinking is they, they brought all of the, this information in for no other reason than to get people to hate Joe Exotic. So, it, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me, Jim. This is 2020. Nothing should surprise us. Wouldn't it be something if Joe Exotic got a presidential pardon? It, it I mean, most certainly would be something. Um, it wouldn't surprise you, you me. Know. Yeah. It, it is 2020, right? So It is. Yeah, it is 2020 and anything, anything is possible. Uh, you did a lot of interviews for this uh, Discovery ID series. Is there one that stands out as like the most compelling? Maybe well, the there, one that got to you the most. There was a lot of interviews that I did that were that were interesting, and everything provides a different piece of information because mm-hmm. it's like a puzzle, right? And you just have to get all the puzzle pieces to fit. The one that was really interesting is the interview done with Trish Farr. Mm-hmm. Now, when I look at Trish Farr and I talk to her and she gives her story. You know, the information she gave, just it really blew my mind. But then when she brought in facts, documents, to back up what she was saying, mm-hmm. it really opened my eyes. And for, you, and for your listeners, what I'm talking about is that she actually provided me documents of property transfers from Carol Lewis, which is today is known as Carol Baskin, mm-hmm. to her, what at the time was her husband, Kenny Farr. Now, Kenny Farr was Don Lewis's handyman up becoming Carol's handyman after Don disappeared. Right. Now, look, I love my handyman as well. But I don't know if <laughs> but, I'm going to give my handyman well over six figures in properties for a total of $9,080. Not to mention that this was only done one month after Don disappeared. Now, that just totally blew my mind because I think if my spouse was missing or if your spouse was missing or most people out there, their spouse is missing, you're holding out hope that they're going to come home. You're doing everything you can 
for them to come home. Search parties, rewards, mm-hmm. working and cooperating with law enforcement day and night, trying to find out what happened. The last thing I'd be doing is turning off his phone two weeks after he disappeared, because that could be very his only lifeline. Oh, yeah. But then start giving away his properties a month after he's gone? Talk about that flag. Yeah. And she felt confident, and she was right that, or I should, if she's guilty, it appeared she felt confident that nothing would happen. And what didn't he get Don's guns as well? Isn't there? Correct. What, what happened all, with and that? In all fairness, in all fairness, she could have a reason. And one of the reasons I heard that she said that they gave the properties to Kenny was they wanted to help him get into real estate. Mm-hmm. Sure, but uh, if you keep it under ten thousand dollars, it's a completely different transaction. You know, it's not right. the paper trail isn't as extensive as it is for anything over ten thousand dollars. So, just a lot of you know unanswered questions there. I'll say that. Um, what was also interesting that she told me was that on that Sunday, which was August seventeenth of nineteen ninety-seven, mm-hmm. her husband at the time, Kenny, he'd work seven days a week, but he happened to be home on that Sunday, August seventeenth waiting on a phone call, got a phone call, and he takes off from the house, doesn't return till later that evening, except he returns in Don's van, and inside Don's van that he backed up to their residence mm-hmm. was loaded full of firearms that they brought into the house. Now, she gave those firearms back to, or gave them to the sheriff's office a years later, because she said after that particular, after that August 17th incident, Kenny completely changed. He changed his demeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, he became incredibly paranoid, recorded all phone calls in and out of the house, cameras everywhere, even going as far as telling her that she's not allowed to talk on the phone. She's never, ever, ever allowed to talk about Don Lewis. Oh, my God. I, and, so she yeah, fear. I, and I don't blame her one single bit. But, again, going back to what you, you said just a moment ago, if your husband is gone missing, you don't, a few days later, give away his gun collection. Guns were very important to Don Lewis. Again, another huge red flag, the van, all huge red flags. And the fact that uh, Trish Farr then had to live in fear. I mean, massive red flags. Uh, and, and this is what's so frustrating is, and I'm not asking you to criticize law enforcement here, but why was nothing done? I mean, and now the evidence is so old and cold, it's going to be very difficult to prove anything. What? Talk to me about what law enforcement did then. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. It's unfortunate we're 23 years late to the game looking at this case now. Um, I really don't have an answer for how or why they didn't take certain steps in mm-hmm. the investigative process. You know, whenever you work at a case, you have to turn over every leaf, look under every stone, and you have to let the facts take you where they take you, regardless of of who's behind, you know, who you think could be a suspect or not. You know, mm-hmm. you let the facts take you to where it's going to take you. There's a crime here. But, you know, that that wasn't what they did here. I don't know if it's just because maybe someone had a personal relationship, a friendship with with somebody involved. I, I, I do not know. Um, but mm-hmm. what I do know is, is that, unfortunately, it appears that the ball was dropped 23 years ago, and once that ball was dropped, and the more time it goes on, the harder it is to to solve a case. Exactly. Um, this case is obviously you know, very important to you. How come? Well, it's important to me because, you know, there, there's a few reasons to it. One, I really enjoy investigating cases. I just, the more complex, 
the more driven I feel that I am because I feel like I have a special gift when it comes to investigating and I want to be mm -hmm. able to help the family out. But at the same time, I think Don Lewis has three amazing daughters. I really do. I think mm -hmm. they're brilliant. I think they're beautiful. I think they're smart. Um, I think they've, they're wonderful, wonderful ladies. And mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it's like for 23 years to not know what happened to your father. You know, I recently lost my father to cancer this summer, and oh, I have a place to go to memorialize my father. I have a place to go. I know that he was ill. I know what happened to my dad. But my dad was my best friend, and, and much like their father probably was to them, mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it's like for 23 years to have no answers. Uh, and they deserve those answers, and I want to do everything I can to help them get those answers. Oh, that's wonderful, and I'm so sorry about your father. You know, no matter what age or how, how ill somebody is, it's always hard, terribly hard to lose a parent. Uh, do you know if there's going to be any other follow-up on Discovery ID, uh, any more episodes? Well, I think I think there's going to be some more. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of information out there still. There's a lot of things that we're uncovering every day, and we're continuing to work this case. Um, just think all the listeners need to stay tuned. Uh, I do believe that there'll be some big things to happen here in the future, and Hopefully we'll be able to showcase all of that to everyone. Well, good. So you're still working on it, and you are still uncovering evidence. Did I understand that right? Yeah, still working it, still uncovering things. And, you know, Trish, if I may, I wanted to say one thing real quick sure. um, about about Trish Farr, because that was such a big part of the interview. And I know a lot of people are wondering, well, how did the sheriff's office get those firearms? And there's something I want to state about that. You okay. Know, Trish, unfortunately, became a victim to domestic violence from Kenny. Um, mm -hmm. It was very violent. Uh, Kenny was arrested and convicted of that. Um, and it was at that time that she went ahead and turned everything over to law enforcement. And I find that to be such a big piece and, and for a few reasons. Um, you know, for her to be able to come forward like that, to mm -hmm. go through the biggest fears that she was going through at that time and to be able to to overcome those fears for her children and for her own life, to be able to face this and give those firearms to the sheriff's office, talk about what happened and no longer become a victim. You know, my hat goes off to her and I really do because I just think she's tough as nails and she's really inspiration for so many people that are victims of domestic violence. And I, I think throughout all of this, I don't think she's gotten enough applause from people for doing just that. I mean, she literally looked, the fear straight in the face and said, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to do what's right, not only for me, but for my own children and for other women out there. And I really think that she's a patriot for that. I really do. And I just think that needed to be said because I, I, I have so much respect for her for doing that. Well, thank you, Jim. And I agree. And everybody, I'm sure, agrees. Uh, Trish Barr, you, you are an amazing woman. And hopefully someday I can get her on the show. I would love to talk to her. But thank you for that, Jim. Again, like I said, we, we all certainly agree. If somebody does happen to have information, who should they call? What should they do? Uh, there's actually a few ways to do that. Um, you know, you can contact the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. That would be one way that, have, that is an active case with them, so they could take the information. If you don't feel comfortable bringing it to law enforcement, you can most certainly bring it to me. I'm more than happy to work it. Um, mm -hmm. My email is jim at uh, jimrathmanthecompany.com. Um, and, spell, can, and spell your last name for us, Jim. It's R-A-T-H-M-A-N-N. -N. Um, you can message me on Instagram if you want. It's at 
the real Jim Rathman. Yes, mm-hmm. there are about 20 Jim Rathmans on there, but you'll see me. Uh, you know, there's Twitter, uh, just real Jim Rathman, or even Facebook, which is just Jim Rathman. I don't care what way you get a hold of me. Just please get a hold of me if you have that bit of information. You know, a lot of times people think, well, this might be a little insignificant. Nothing is ever insignificant when it comes to a case of this magnitude. So please, please, if you have any information, please come forward with it. It might be that missing piece of the puzzle that puts all this together. Jim, thank you so much. Jim Rathman, that's R-A-T-H-M-A-N-N, the real Jim Rathman. Or is it James Rathman? Jim. Jim Rathman. Jim, the real Jim Rathman. Okay, I want to make sure I got that right. Thank you, Jim. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon, and let's, uh, let's hope we see you on Discovery ID in the future, talking about Joe Exotic and Tiger's Life and cover up. Thanks a lot, Jim. Take care. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye.